Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Should Hamilton offer free rides to all on the HSR? A bombshell from Canada's privacy watchdog. Should COVID-19 continue to be labeled a global pandemic? The Freedom Convoy began one year ago. It's 30 years for the Dr. Bob Camp Hospice, and I open a mysterious package from a CHML listener. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Whole question of the day today at AM 900 CHML on Twitter is what we're going to be focusing on now. And it's all about free public transit. Should the city of Hamilton offer free rides to all on the HSR? If you're under 12 and if you're a senior, you can ride the HSR for free. Everyone else in between those um, age groups have to pay. Now, it's not a heck of a lot of money, but still, you, you got to pay for it, whether it's a monthly pass or you're popping in uh, your Presto card and the little uh, thingamajigger that lights up to say, all right, yeah, you're good to go. Should the city of Hamilton offer free rides on the HSR to help marginalized residents and fight climate change and, and heck, reduce some traffic congestion as well? 905-645-3221. Call me now or text that number. Again, 905-645-3221, or send me an email, rick at 900chml.com, or head over to our Twitter feed, at am900chml. Right now, 59% of you say, yeah, HSR should be free for all. Let's help reduce traffic congestion. Let's fight climate change. Let's assist those marginalized residents. Um, Yesterday, we chatted about this with... City Councilor Tammy Huang, Ward 4 Councilor, who brought this topic once again to the table at City Hall to say, hey, we should look into this. Now, this is something that many other jurisdictions are doing. In fact, there's a hundred jurisdictions around the world that are either offering or experimenting zero fare or fare free bus or train service in their community. What do you think? Is this something Hamilton should do? Now, keep in mind, there's $47 million in revenue that's on the table. So if we do offer free public transit, there's got to be an offset. Where are we finding that money? I'll tell you this, it would be fantastic if we could offer free transit. I'm not sure how they would make the math work. We would need some kind of windfall. And I'm not sure what that is. But $47 million, especially nowadays, is hard to replace. Uh, Here's what Councillor Wang had to say in terms of how we could potentially pay for this. When it comes to that, it's also thinking about alternative revenue models. It's thinking about how are we generating revenue from other parts of the city in order to help offset this. But this also comes back to what are council's priorities for the next four years? And we will be going into a session with the mayor as um, from a council perspective of determining our big strategic directions for this term. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of this idea. I don't think it's going to work right now. We're not in a financial position to do so. But who knows, within five years, we could be we can be in this scenario. There's a lot of heavy lifting that is going to have to be done to get there. But the benefits are huge. Here's Councillor Wang talking about how this would help. There's an equity lens. So looking at our community and providing transit and opportunities to move about this city when budgets are tight, when um, we have many people that are living at or below the poverty line. We have a lot of students. We have a lot of older Hamiltonians that are really pinching their pennies when it comes to this current climate. We're also looking at it from how are we taking cars off the road and ensuring that we can 
better hit our climate change objectives. We're also looking at this from a just an equalization and being much more of a attractive city for investment because it's about increasing quality of life. It's also around allowing um, employers to signal to employers that we're really focusing on how are we building a better Hamilton for their workforce as well. A lot of benefits to this idea. I would love to see the city of Hamilton rise to the challenge to make this happen within the next few years. Not going to be easy, but hey, let's contact those People in Kansas City, Missouri that have done this. Washington, D.C. is doing this. Hordes of cities in Europe that have done this. Let's get the ball rolling and do it. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. I was going to describe this story as startling, shocking, surprising. No, it's actually none of it. It's it's disgusting. It is disheveling. It's angering. That's what it is. Canada's privacy watchdog says Home Depot shared personal customer data with Facebook parent Meta without your consent. Yeah, it came from Privacy Commissioner Philippe Dufresne, who says the data from electronic receipts included encoded email addresses and in-store purchase information. So Home Depot said, hey, Meta, hey, Facebook, here you go. Have at it. (laughs) Dufresne says Home Depot stopped sharing customer information with Meta last October. Well, there's some good news. Carmi Levy is a technology analyst and journalist and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Carmi, how are you? Thank you. I'm enraged. Uh, when I first saw this story, I could literally see the red forming in my eyes. I needed, to, <laughs> I needed to hook the dog up and take her for a walk around the block just to get some air and cool off. And I'm not kidding. I was, I don't get angry. I got angry this time because this is yet another example of this company, I mean, you know, used to be known as Facebook, now known as Meta, once again getting its hand caught in the privacy cookie jar. And once again, it's us consumers who are essentially being taken for a privacy ride. And, you know, I've said it before, it's disgusting, it's immoral, it shouldn't happen, yet for whatever reason, it keeps happening again and again and again. Should we place more of the blame on Facebook then as opposed to Home Depot? I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, Home Depot, of course, you know, you know I wasn't dealing with Facebook and, and I'm one of those customers. I, I'm during that period. I look, you know, I went to Home Depot yep. and I bought stuff for my house and I trying to be the good little soldier that I am. I said, sure, I'll take the e-receipt because let's save the paper so you don't have to print it out. Email it to me instead. Uh, and, you know, I'm a nerd, so these things are cool for me. I get to keep them in email. Uh, and so I, I'm one of those probably millions of Canadians who was affected by it. Uh, And so it was Home Depot that signed up for this program with Meta, whatever it was, without telling me, saying they had implied consent when, no, I didn't consent to anything. And, and of course, it's, it, I, I blame Meta as well for having this program in the first place, knowing full well where it would go, how it would look, what the optics were. So I think it's a little bit of shared accountability here and, and shared blame. And I think both companies should, should be, you know, basically, you know, asking for our, for our forgiveness and essentially looking at themselves in the mirror going, you know, did we, did we do right by our customers? Because we know the answer to that one is an absolute no. I found one of the statements from Home Depot um, a little insensitive because they said only non-sensitive information was shared with Meta. But, I mean, that's not the point. We did not give permission for this to happen. 
Exactly. And, and I don't buy that whole non-sensitive information excuse. We know full well that even if on the surface, the data that was shared. So, for example, they, they took our e-receipts. So they knew what we bought. They knew the day that we bought it. They had our email address. And that information on the surface may look, eh, it's innocuous. What can they tell from that? But the thing is, Meta has lots of other information on us. They know what ads were served up. And the reason this program was was implemented in the first place was to measure how effective the ads were. We served up these ads to Carmi and Rick when they when they walked into the store. Were they effective? Let's take a look at what they bought. So when you take that information and combine it with all the other data that the company has on us, well, now they can pretty much paint a pretty comprehensive picture of what makes us tick. If they want to know if I was sick then because I bought something at Home Depot to maybe, you know, address the fact that I was sick or someone in my in my house needed, I don't know, maybe a, a, a disabled wheelchair access ramp and I was building something for it. Now they know that information about me. They can put it all together and build a comprehensive picture. That's where we get into some pretty dangerous territory and that's where they cross some really red lines. We only got about a minute. Home Depot says it was worried about consent fatigue, which I find absolutely hilarious. But beyond a hit to its brand and another hit to Facebook's brand, is are either of them going to be hit with any kind of penalty here? No, so that's that's what we're not seeing here. Is you know the privacy commissioner released a statement, held a press conference, and at no point did he say what kind of punishment he's hoping that we can meet out against these two companies uh, for their operations in Canada. And that I think is the whole problem. Uh, you hear about it; they do an investigation. There's a whole lot of outrage. And then nothing. And there are no, there's no accountability. And even if there is, and, you know, let's just cross our fingers and hope maybe that maybe they will find the company. So what will it be? A pretty small pittance. Meta is a multi-billion dollar company. It'll be a drop in the bucket, just like the Cambridge Analytica scandal from a few years ago. They were fined a few hundred million dollars. They went on their way and the company did not clearly change its ways. So, uh, no, there will be no punishment. And this is the kind of story that you and I are probably going to be talking about again a few months from now. But we'll change the title a little bit, but really this, the, the basic sense will be exactly the same. They will never change their spot. It's pretty sad. Carmi, always appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it, Rick. Thank you. Carmi Levy, technology analyst and journalist, should mention this scenario between Home Depot and, and Meta played out for four years, 2018 to 2022. Sad. And yeah, we're all, we shouldn't all be enraged. This is BS. Total BS. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Hard to believe that three years ago now, the world was introduced to SARS-CoV-2, better known as COVID-19. It has contributed to the deaths of more than 6.8 million people around the world. And today, the World Health Organization is meeting to discuss whether or not COVID should still be considered a global pandemic, a global public health emergency. Dr. Isaac Bogosh is an infectious disease specialist and a professor at the University of Toronto, also a staff physician, general internal medicine and infectious diseases associate professor at the U of T of, uh, as well. Dr. Bogosh, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm okay, Rick. Thanks so much for having me on. Any idea on what the WHO is going to announce today? No clue. No clue. Right? They're, they're, they're talking about a technical definition. This is not a question of, is the pandemic over? This is, does COVID-19 represent a public health emergency of international concern? That's a technical definition that really discusses a major event, usually an infection, that can impact multiple countries where you need more global coordination to 
resolve the issue. I think the key takeaway for me is either today or later on, and I don't know when, weeks or maybe months down the road, this designation will be lifted. But it's important that when that time comes, whether it's today or further on down the road, that we still recognize that COVID's still here. It's still going to wax and wane. It's still going to disproportionately impact vulnerable communities. And we can't ignore it. We still have to take it seriously. I get the sense that humanity is ready for it to be over, but are we ready? Well, it's not over. And you know what? I I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news. It's going to be here for the foreseeable future. Um, I think it's important that we acknowledge that. We take steps that, you know, we can mitigate the impact of this, right? Uh, That means there might be a time where people may need to get a booster in the future. That might be a time where... There's a lot of COVID out there, and it's in everyone's best interest to put a mask on in indoor settings. That might also reflect, you know, creating safer indoor spaces with better ventilation and, and air quality. So I think, you know, there's things that we can do that uh, will mitigate the impact, not just of COVID, but, but, but of other infections where, you know, life still looks normal, uh, as we remember pre-COVID, but there's there might be, you know, a few small changes here and there to improve the quality of life for everybody. If the pandemic designation remains, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people who think the WHO is being too cautious or or maybe even too political. If this global health emergency is declared over, I think it's a bridge that this organization is going to be hard-pressed to cross if things suddenly take a turn for the worse. Right. Well, let's just start with you're never going to make 8 billion people happy with one, <laughs> yeah. with one policy announcement. So I don't, hopefully they're not in the business of being popular because it's going to blow up in their face. Um, the key is how it's communicated, right? If they keep this designation, I think it's important that they recognize that they say that this will be lifted at some point. If they lift the designation, I hope it's a, it, it is important that they communicate that, listen, it doesn't mean COVID is gone. And, and we're all done with this. So that's 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 the key point. And the other point, too, is it's a designation. It doesn't mean that the pandemic is over. It doesn't mean that COVID is it's, it's, it's actually a technical term. It's a public health emergency of international concern. The other one, there's been a few H1N1 was a public health emergency of international concern. The 2014 Ebola virus that was in multiple countries in West Africa in 2014. That was a public health emergency of international concern. Monkeypox, now known as MPOX which impacted over 80 countries, was uh, was designated one of these as well. So there, there's only been a handful of them, COVID being one of them. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Dr. Isaac Bogosh, infectious disease specialist. We are chatting about the World Health Organization meeting today to discuss whether or not this global pandemic should uh, maybe be called something else or refer to something else or be declared over uh, once and for all. Um, the Kraken variant, um, what's the update on this? Is it spreading as fast as uh, initially thought? Yeah, so this is the uh, yeah XBB 1.5, which is still under the Omicron umbrella. Certainly here in Canada, certainly growing, absolutely is. Got a report from Ontario uh, the other day demonstrating that it it still is getting a stronger foothold here. Um, And, you know, it's probably going to take over and be the more dominant uh, sublineage of Omicron and the more dominant variant. Um, Again, from an individual standpoint, it doesn't mean anything different, right? we, We have the tools, we have the vaccines, we have masks, we know what to do. Uh, with COVID at an individual level, we should not, we, it doesn't mean we should be doing anything differently. I think it's important to track this. It's important to communicate what's out there. It's important to communicate to the general public when there's more 
COVID in communities that might alter in a positive manner people's behavior so they take additional steps to protect themselves and others. We can certainly take steps at the level of the population to decrease the impact of COVID-19. But yeah, this XBB 1.5 is here and it is growing. Now, the minute with Dr. Isaac Bogosh, infectious disease specialist, as we chat about the World Health Organization's designation day, or at least their meeting to uh, declare or not declare whether the global pandemic is uh, coming to an end in terms of COVID-19. There was a, uh, a new report that came out that uh, showed that misinformation contributed to at least 2,800 COVID-19 related deaths here in Canada. That's, that's just sad. That's awful. We have to obviously find a way to balance freedom of speech, freedom of expression, uh, but also call out true misinformation and disinformation where we see it and, 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 and clamp down hard on that because people will hear false information, make bad decisions for themselves, and it has consequences. And this is the result of it. It's probably a gross underestimate. Yeah, I would agree with that. Dr. Bogosh, always appreciate your time. Thanks for your time today. Have a great day. Nice to chat, Rick. You too. That is Dr. Isaac Bogosh, infectious diseases specialist, professor at the U of T. Yeah, this this new report, Nonprofit uh, Council of Canadian Academies, um, has found that between March and November of 2021, that misinformation about COVID-19 led to vaccine hesitancy, which impacted more than 2.35 million people and led to hospital and ICU visits, which cost more than $300 million dollars. Uh, Also, by the way, I knew this morning the FDA in the United States, the Food and Drug Administration, poised to make COVID-19 vaccinations more like a yearly flu shot. And we all kind of suspect this was going to be the case. And apparently this is starting to happen maybe within this year or certainly next year in the United States. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. But a year ago, it wasn't all right around Parliament Hill in Ottawa. And it wasn't all right for weeks because a year ago this weekend, the Freedom Convoy rolled into the Capitol. And, well, we know the rest of the story. But what is the lasting images? What is the legacy of this event? Andrew Cohen is an author, a journalist, and professor in the School of Journalism and Communication at Carleton University and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Andrew, welcome to the show. How are you? Good morning. Thank you. When you look back at everything that happened in the Capitol, what image comes up for you? Well, amid the bouncy castles and the hot tubs and the barbecues <laughs> and the whole atmosphere of a, you know, something between a military encampment and and um, uh, uh, a uh, rock concert, um, was the really the occupation of the downtown of a G7 capital. And the failure of governments at all levels, beginning with the municipal government, then the provincial government, um, uh, and belatedly the federal government, but it did eventually act, to uh, address it. And you had a situation, for those of us who live in Ottawa, um, which was um, puzzling and um, more than annoying if you live downtown. I don't, but if you did, in which a small, uh, um, determined, loud minority could um, prevent people from going to work, close libraries and medical clinics and and a shopping center, um, and in a sense, although they won't ever admit it, uh, terrorize, inconvenience, um, and sometimes threaten people who live downtown. And uh, they were able to do that for 
as you just said, Rick, for something like three weeks before the federal government acted. So it was, to me, a collapse of, um, of um, authority. Uh, it was um, uh, on the part of the city particularly, and it still has implications for this city, those of us who live here, the inability to uh, address this. It took a 21-year-old public servant named Zexi Lee to take the truckers to court because the level of noise was so um, uh, unbearable for so many people. She took them to court, and, and there was a ban on the use of horns. But it wasn't all fun and games for people here. It was a real question about democracy and order and authority. And um, uh, the lasting impression is simply how we allowed it to happen. The uh, the protesters certainly spewed a lot of hate at the media as well, uh, yelling at reporters on site to, you know, quote unquote, tell the real story. Uh, your thoughts on how all of this played out on radio, TV, newspapers and, and in the digital world? Well, it, it um, of course, was, was covered. People like me who, who write um, fielded requests from really around the world. We all did. Um, there was enormous interest. Uh, as you know, Rick, there were copycat movements thereafter in, in other places. Um, I recall about two weeks in, they tried something similar in Paris. <laughs> the French handled it much differently. They did not. Um, people saw that, that, that Ottawa foolishly allowed this to happen, and they didn't allow it to happen in New Zealand and other places, or at least with, with not the same consequences. So it, it was covered. What was interesting, uh, if you're a journalist, was uh, the American reaction, particularly in the conservative media. They loved it. Uh, the conservative media dined out on this. They thought this was a just cause. They thought the, um, uh, this was taking it to a tyrannical uh, federal government. Um, I got into uh, a debate with uh, a columnist at the Washington Post, um, uh, uh, Fox News gave it extraordinary coverage, Rick. Almost every night, uh, Tucker Carlson uh, uh, dined out on it, devoured it. Um, and they thought, well, this is an example of, a, of an oppressive government uh, cracking down on, um, on um, a minority uh, simply because that minority didn't like a mass mandate or didn't want to get um, the vaccination. We've got about a minute to discuss what the Emergencies Act, we know it was used and an, an inquiry was held, what the Emergencies Act Commission is going to come up with. What's your best guess? Well, the, the, what was very interesting were the, uh, the hearings that were held. Um, they, uh, uh, people thought uh, this would put the government on, on the back foot, that it would, it would, the government would look, the federal government, that is, would look bad, apparently. Um, I, I wasn't there, but if you watch the Prime Minister, um, uh, even his opponents said how confident and, um, and how assertive he was. Uh, my uh, sense is that uh, uh, they, they don't have to blame anybody. The, 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 the mandate of the inquiry is to explain what happened. It is mandated by the imposition of the act. I think probably it will say that, that the imposition of the act uh, maybe uh, could have been done differently. It was probably justified. I do know one thing, the, uh, whatever that commission may say, the inquiry, inquiry um, if you look at polls, Rick, uh, overwhelmingly Canadians um, supported the federal government in imposing uh, the Public Emergencies Act and disagreed with Pierre Poilievre and his colleagues in the Conservative Party who thought it was some kind of tyranny. 
So I don't think there'll be any uh, lasting political implications for the, for the government, even if the inquiry says uh, the act shouldn't have been uh, invoked. I think Canadians feel this was a public emergency. It had gone on too long. They have no sympathy for the truckers, and the government acted wisely. I think you're right on that one. Andrew, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you for your time today. Pleasure. Thank you, Rick. Andrew Cohen, author, journalist, professor in the School of Journalism and Communication at Carleton University. There were plans for a big one-year anniversary protest in the Capitol this weekend. That's fizzled. Nonetheless, police are taking a zero-tolerance approach on things like fireworks and noise and parking this weekend in Ottawa. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Bob Kemp Hospice, what a wonderful organization this is. And it is hosting a couple of fundraisers coming up, including one that is happening this Sunday. Danielle Zuquette is the CEO of Bob Kemp Hospice and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Danielle, good morning. How are you today? Good morning. Good morning. I'm great. How are you? I'm fantastic. This Sunday, you're offering a free family skate. What's going on? We are. We are. Um, First Ontario Credit Union has been a longtime supporter and partner of the hospice. And uh, this this event was really made possible by their generosity in um, providing the venue for us. And at uh, the first uh, Ontario Centre, we will have a free skate from 11 to 3 this Sunday. And uh, there will be hot chocolate and popcorn and even bruisers going to be making an appearance between 12 and 1. Uh, there'll be a lot of great ticket giveaways to the first Ontario Centre, like the Toronto Rock and the Hamilton Bulldog. So it promises to be a really fun afternoon. You had me at hot chocolate, Danielle. I'm there. Uh, <laughs> what is uh, what's the fundraising goal, and where does this money go? So um, part of uh, being a charity, a large part of what we have to do is that we were only about 50% government funded. So we have to raise the money to keep our lights on and our services available. And, you know, one of um, our favorite ways to do that is to engage the community by having fun and raising awareness. And it's a chance to to see friends and, and foster new relationships. And so uh, on average, we're looking at... Um, that we need about a million and a half to two million dollars that we need to raise over the course of the year in addition to our government funding. So all of the monies that is raised uh, through our community and and uh, our, our community partners and sponsorships directly goes towards providing grief and bereavement supports, uh, residential care in our hospice and advanced care planning, all of the, the programs and services that are offered under our umbrella. Geez, I would imagine with the inflation rate where it is, with the cost of living where it is, that it is increasingly difficult to fundraise these days. It is, especially with um, this, I hate to even say this word, but but COVID's still lingering. Um, you know, people are... are the, the way in which people are giving and gathering is still very different than than the way that we knew it. So, um, you know, every dollar that we receive is so important in being able to continue to provide our communities with the services that are so desperately needed. Talk about the atmosphere at Bob Camp Hospice. I had the pleasure of touring this uh, facility, I, I want to say maybe five years ago, and I was just blown away at what happens at the hospice. You know, I think um, one of the biggest misperceptions about hospice is that it's a sad place. And obviously, you know, individuals do come to um, live out their their last chapter, but 
it is a place of um, when when you come in, families say that they can be a family member again. You know that they, they don't have to be a caregiver. They're provided twenty four seven care in the closest thing to home that you can possibly experience. And there's there is so much joy and and memories are created while maintaining dignity and celebrating the last chapter. I mean, in any home that the kitchen is the heart and the the hub of the home, and that holds true uh, for the Dr. Bob Kemp hospice. And and when you walk in, you'll you'll smell the home cooking and the freshly baked cookies. And and so that is the biggest thing that families will comment on is that, wow, you know, this is um, really the closest thing to home that one can experience. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Danielle Zuket, CEO of the Bob Kemp Hospice. You can find out more details online at kemphospice.org. They're hosting a couple of fundraisers, including an open skate this coming Sunday at First Ontario Centre. It runs from 11 in the morning to 3 in the afternoon. Bruiser will be there, door prizes, some hot chocolate popcorn, 50-50 tickets, a great fundraiser on you also have a concert coming up in March. Tell us about that. We do. On March 24th, we've got an 80s and 90s benefit concert. Uh, we are celebrating a real milestone this year of our, our 30th anniversary of providing palliative care and bereavement needs in, in the greater Hamilton area. And whether you're my generation or not, who doesn't love a good 80s and 90s dance party? <laughs> so that is being held at the studio, which is on Summers Lane, directly beside the First Ontario Concert Hall. And uh, unlike the free skate, there is a nominal fee, but I promise uh, there is a huge dance floor, plenty of seating, and um, it will be well worth it. And so uh, Haley Rose and the Artificially Hip, I think, are the two... Uh, are head the headliners, yeah, yes. that's amazing. Well, wow, that should be a lot of fun. Uh, Danielle, good luck with the skate this Sunday and, of course, the concert coming up March 24th. And uh, we'll keep you in mind down the road to shine a spotlight on Bob Kemp Hospice. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. Take care. Danielle Zucant is the CEO of the Bob Kemp Hospice. You can find out what they're all about online at kemphospice.org. Uh, for tickets to the concert on March 24th, you can go to coreentertainment.ca. Advanced tickets are $40. If you buy the week out, they're 45 And as Danielle mentioned, it's at the studio beside First Ontario Concert Hall. That should be a pretty good show. And, and by the way, 30 years already for the Dr. Bob Kemp Hospice? 30 years Boy, where has the time gone? You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Okay, what is in this bag? Here we go. So Tuesday, a CHML listener dropped off at the front desk uh, this shopping bag and a, a gift for me, for Rick Zed, it says, on the, on the side of the bag. And so Kelly, our front uh, receptionist, says, hey, do you want this... <laughs> Do you want this? I said, well, if it's not ticking and it doesn't have any kind of powdery substance on it, sure. Hand it over. And then I said, let's open this thing on the air. And she said, that's a great idea. I'm like, of course it is. <laughs> so all I know is that there's a can of something and there's some other stuff in here. So let's let's open this thing. All right. So we got a bag. Oh, in the bag is another bag. It's a gold-colored bag, a little smaller. Oh, something's fallen out of the bag. Uh, well, here's the first clue. It's fallen out of the bag here. It is a foot. Oh, it's a fridge magnet in the shape of a foot. And on the toes, it says Aruba. And it's got uh, a crab there, a little beach scene, a little seagull in the distance, palm tree, a nice fridge magnet. Okay, well, that might be a clue. Have I won a trip to Aruba? Is this what this means? All right, let's dig down deep in here. All right, the can. So it's not can tripe. 
and it is not the champagne of beers either. But it is beer. Yeah, Balashi beer. I've never heard of this. Premium quality pilsner born and brewed in Aruba. 5% alcohol. Well, I can't drink this now, but it's a fancy looking uh, can. It's green. It's uh, it's not a tall boy. And it's got a cool looking tree on the back. Well, whoever sent this, my gosh, this is amazing. Let's continue to dive in here. All right. What's next? Uh, okay. It's a newspaper. Aruba Today. Again, another clue. Have I seriously won a trip to Aruba? What's the headline here? March for Life Eyes Congress for Post-Row Abortion Limits. All right, enough of that. Enough of the bad news. Uh, okay, so out of the gold bag, there's two letters here. Handwritten in Sharpie. <laughs> I guess to get the message across. All right. Letter number one. Hey, Rick, I was ready for a horror event. 10 out of 10 for Sunwing on this trip to Aruba. All right, so this person has gone to Aruba and is probably not taking me. Uh, going and return were on time and luggage made it both ways. Sunwing staff were friendly to and back to Toronto. Uh, worry was gone this time around. Okay, and attached to this letter is a napkin <laughs> from the Sunwing flight. Okay, I get the message. Uh, letter number two, and what in the world is attached to this letter? Oh my gosh. All right, let's leave the, read the, we, the uh, letter first, and I'll tell you what's attached to it. Attention, Rick Zed. I realize you are a Leaf fan. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Uh, but for fun, for breakfast, do you have any toast in the morning? Enclosed, I would like you to turn over attached toast and see what you discover. I give this out... As a, at Sabre Games, and this is how I got the name of Toastman Jack in Buffalo, New York. Name given to me by former Sabre President Ted Black. He even sent me a Sabre jersey with Toastman on the back of the jersey. All the best from Toastman Jack, Stony Creek, Canada. And on the back of the letter to Rick Zed from Toastman Jack, Stony Creek, Canada, go Sabres! In a sandwich bag is one slightly toasted piece of toast. <laughs> so I have a little surprise. Okay. So our winner today for our sizzling burger yeah. was the gentleman who asked Toastman Jack? He just happened to be the ninth caller. Get out of town. He was like, he's like, don't say anything. I want him to open it, but let him know when he's done opening it. Holy cow. Toastman Jack, thank you very much for the beer. I will say cheers to you and the toast, which I have to admit I will not eat because I'm not sure how, <laughs> how old that is. But thank you very much, Jack. There it is. Mystery solved. No trip to Aruba, but a nice beverage for the weekend. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.